Great Yarmouth and District Talking Newspaper Association. Hello and welcome to Grapevine. This is volume 41, number 16, for week ending Friday the 23rd of April 2021. This week's local news includes the usual Covid facts and figures, the council versus the dreaded gulls, and loads of information on the town's awakening since the easing of lockdown. Hi, I'm Graham, your presenter, and joining me is Margaret, your newsreader for the week, who once again takes a look back to a mercury from the dim distant past. However, the reason we're here is to bring you your local news, so let's do just that. Hello again. I'm Margaret, and I'm bringing you this week's news, as well as meandering through the Yarmouth Mercury of December 1961. Now, spring has sprung, and my garden is full of tulips with the colour now coming out. And two exciting events in my life recently. I've had my second jab, and I've had my hair cut. Oh, bliss and joy! <laughs> now, I can't let this time go by without the mention of the Duke of Edinburgh's funeral last week. I found it very moving, just the quietness of it. And nobody doesn't like the British, do they? And, well, the Duke of Edinburgh, well, we're going to miss him. He did such a lot. So, if you're sitting comfortably, I'll begin with the first part of the news. Norfolk's Covid rate still low, despite slight rises in some areas. Norfolk's coronavirus infection rate remains below the national average, despite small increases in some areas. The county's rate was 15.6 cases per 100,000 people in the seven days up to April the 14th, up slightly from 14.9 a week prior. That compares to a national case rate of 26.8 per 100,000, down from 29. Percentage-wise, the local districts of Breckland, Great Yarmouth, Mid-Suffolk and North Norfolk have all seen sharp rises with the latter's infection rate jumping by 98%. But North Norfolk's rate of 9.5 cases per 100,000 people, up from 4.8 last week, is the second lowest in the county and one of the lowest across the nation. Broadland now has the lowest infection rate in Norfolk, at 8.4 cases per 100,000, while Kings Lynn and West Norfolk still has the highest with 27.1. It must be highlighted that in the context of the pandemic, case rates in Norfolk and throughout the UK remain extremely low. In early January, when another nationwide lockdown was announced, Norfolk's districts had rates of 595 and 695 cases per 100,000. The latest rates for local authority areas up to April the 14th are as follows, with all figures per 100,000 people. Breckland 17.9, Broadland 8.4, East Suffolk 17.6, Great Yarmouth 17.1, Kingslyn and West Norfolk 
to 7.1, Mid Suffolk 21.2, North Norfolk 9.5, Norwich 10.7 and South Norfolk 16.3. The latest data shows that of April the 14th there were no patients with coronavirus in critical care at Norfolk's hospitals. This has been the case since April the 7th and compares to a record high of 62 on January the 27th. On that same date in January, the Norfolk and Norwich University Hospital alone had 50 people in intensive care. Meanwhile, the James Paget University Hospital in Galston has not had a mechanical ventilator bed occupied by COVID patients since March the 12th, more than a month ago. Moreover, the number of people in hospital with coronavirus as of April the 14th was just four, the fewest since September the 26th. So far in April, six people have died in Norfolk's hospitals after suffering with COVID-19, compared to a total of 36 last month and a high of 590 in January. We'll survive. Town market trade is hopeful as £5.3 million work begins. Traders on Great Yarmouth's historic market say they are hopeful for the future as business resumes and a £4.6 million redevelopment project gets underway. The town's two-day market has returned for Wednesdays and Saturdays, but in a new location. Due to ongoing redevelopment works in the town centre, the regular pitch for market stalls is being dug up to make way for the new indoor market after Great Yarmouth Borough Council secured government funding for the project. Traders are now located in the square between the old Palmer's unit and the entrance to market gates. Leonard Gordon, 63, currently runs Gordon's Linen Stall. He said, we really appreciate the fact that the council is trying to make things work. It would be nice to know what the council's vision for market traders is though. Not knowing where we're going to end up after the redevelopment is hard. They say you're going to be all right, but is there some sort of master plan? Because no one seems to know. Mr Gordon, who's been working on the market since he was a child, spoke about resuming business. It's not just about taking money, it's quite a social thing to do, which is nice for everyone, and people have been stuck inside for a long time now. After a long winter off, Paul Proto resumed business last Wednesday. Mr Proto, who owns an artificial flower pitch, as well as ladies' underwear stall, said... Business has been a bit slow, but I think that's the town in general. Until the visitors come back, business is OK, but not what it should be. Adam Roach, owner of Adamski Jewellery, also returned to the market last Wednesday. Last week was really nice because everyone was really pleased to see us back, Mr Roach said. We were a little bit busier than normal, but it's a quite difficult town to make a living in. Mr Roach, who is a market new boy of 14 years, agreed with Mr Proto. I'm hoping this summer is going to be really good. Hopefully, as people won't be able to go abroad as much, people will come to us seaside resorts. 
Mr Roach concluded with a positive attitude. We'll survive, we'll fight again another day. Now this is a sad story and it made me quite angry. Vandals force knitters to remove 22 yarn bombs from village. A seaside village is set to be blitzed by random acts of crochet kindness in response to vandals who attacked a display of yarn bombing. Vandals targeted knitted creations in Hopton, snipping Easter bunnies from their plinths and making off with magnificent tree wraps. The attacks have led to the guerrilla group of undercover yarn bombers taking down all 22 of their bombs for their own protection. Among those needing to be closely guarded was the knitted Prince Philip tribute, which is due to be auctioned off for charity. Coming on the day of the Duke's funeral made it all the more hard to take, the group's anonymous leader said, adding that the theft of two tree wraps by the church each proclaiming peace and joy had hit everyone hard. It really was so disappointing, she said. It's made us all feel really anxious, but we've got to carry on because it means so much. She was also keen to stress that anyone who wanted one of the bombs could put in a bid or order a commission for themselves, with all the proceeds going to charity. However, as a group whose main aim was to spread joy, the spokesman said they were hitting back with kindness. The bombs that had been taken down have been washed and various embellishments removed and hidden around the village for people to find. Following the vandal attack, some 50 knitted surprises have been bagged up with good wishes and will be dotted around the village in a bid to ensure some joy came from the destruction. A large display on the BT box near the White Hart pub had borne the brunt of the vandalism, with all its knitted bunnies snipped off. On the whole, however, the yarn bombers have been wonderfully well supported, with people saying how much they enjoyed seeing the colourful creations, and a wool bin at the co-op receiving many generous donations. The group has vowed to carry on with all its future knitting plans, including display around the Captain Tom 100 Challenge and also for the NARS. Hopton-on-Sea yarn bombers raise money for their chosen charities, Papyrus, Young Person Suicide Awareness, RSPCA East Norfolk Branch, Norfolk Accident Rescue, that's NARS, and the Captain Tom Foundation. Well, good luck to all of you. Local drivers face up to 20 week wait for driving test. Driving tests have resumed in Norfolk today, but learners could be waiting up to 17 weeks to get booked in because of a post lockdown backlog. It has been one of the most difficult years to get a driving license after another lockdown stopping lessons and putting tests on hold. With learners from March 2020, when the first lockdown hit, still waiting to pass, for many who have just turned 17, it can be difficult to even get on the waiting list for an instructor. Fanola Lear, 29, a driving instructor based in Galston, said the waiting time for local test centres was around 18 to 20 weeks. She said, A lot of my pupils were test ready last year, but their tests were cancelled and rescheduled two or three times. 
Some haven't driven in over four months now, so it's a struggle to get them test ready so quickly. I have a huge waiting list and I still have pupils I had from last year trying to get their tests and get the backlog down for people wanting to start lessons. It's been a whole year now that people have turned 17 but they can't get an instructor in the area. Ms Lear said, as well as waiting to be booked in for practical tests, some students were being forced to retake their theories, which had expired during lockdown. She added, a lot of people's theories have expired. One pupil had a test booked for February. It got cancelled and his theory ran out at the end of February. He has to pay more money re to retake it. It's been really frustrating for them. A lot of pupils find the theory a lot harder to pass, especially if they have learning difficulties. To ensure learner safety, the government has decided not to extend theory test certificates and learners will need to pass another theory test if their certificate expires. There are currently 420,000 practical car tests booked and the national average waiting time for a driving test is 17 weeks. Loveday Rider, Driver and Vehicle Standards Agency, DVSA, Chief Executive, said, I know the suspension of tests and lessons has been incredibly hard for learners and many are keen to take their tests now. But it is important that candidates are properly prepared and don't rush to take it. With more than half of candidates failing and demand currently extremely high for tests, learners should take their test only when they are confident they can pass. Warning not to be gullible as lockdown lifting could see birds return. People are being reminded not to be gullible and feed the birds in a crackdown on the nuisance birds. Recent years have seen an upturn in complaints about nuisance gulls, whether they are stealing market ships or swooping at startled residents and visitors. Great Yarmouth Borough Council has long urged people not to feed the gulls deliberately or by simply not putting leftover food in the bin. But last year's coronavirus lockdown took care of the problem on its own, with the town centre staying relatively gull-free. Now the council is ramping up its campaign again as people return to outdoor life and the gulls follow. And bird experts said it is likely the gulls will return to normal life, just as we do. Dr Viola Ross-Smith, Science Communications Manager for the British Trust for Ornithology, BTO, based in Norfolk, said, Gulls are long-lived and pretty adaptable. Assuming we go back to normal activities, the gulls will go back to old behaviours as well. I do think feeding the gulls, while a lot of people enjoy it, it does then encourage and embolden gulls to rely on humans, but that leads to widespread culls. Many gulls are actually a conservation concern. Well-meaning people who feed the gulls should remember that it doesn't do the gulls any favours. Junk food is no better for the gulls than it is for us. Are you feeding the gull problem? Is the question Great Yarmouth Borough Council is asking householders as it relaunches its awareness campaign around nuisance gulls. 
the social media campaign highlights the direct link between the act of feeding gulls and the nuisance colonies cause in suburban areas, advising householders, don't be gullible. The campaign aims to help reduce gull-related disturbances that affect people's home lives, such as noisy birds keeping people awake in the early hours, messing up cars and laundry, and aggressive behaviour from gulls protecting nests and fledged chicks. A leaflet with the same message will also be given to environmental services officers to distribute in residential areas when complaints about gulls are received. The first report following the original launch of the campaign showed that just over 80% of the complaints were from people advising that their neighbour or other local resident were feeding the gulls and attracting them to the locality. The remainder of the complaints were associated with seagulls being aggressive during the nesting season. Now there has been a large increase in complaints to the council. The emphasis changed from complaints about attacks to complaints about people's behaviour and feeding the birds. For example, only 6 out of the 37 gull-related complaints received in the last 6 months of 2020 were regarding gull attacks. Penny Carpenter, Chair of the Environment Committee, said, Gulls are intelligent, social birds who choose to nest together with close access to food. If there is less food about, Gulls lay fewer eggs or go where there are richer pickings. This campaign has proven that there was, and still is, an issue of gulls spreading into some suburban areas due to people disposing of waste irresponsibly and unfortunately feeding gulls. Of the ongoing issue regarding feeding seagulls, Mrs Carpenter said, it's important that we continue to educate residents so we can work together to stop the gull problem. The BTO has been providing online ID courses focusing on gulls. There's a surprisingly big appetite for information on gulls and their species, Dr Ross Smith said. The more people understand them, the more they can tolerate their less admirable sides. If you are eating outside, you do have to keep an eye on them. If you happen to spot them, Give them a good hard stare and they should leave you alone. <laughs> this was put to the test by reporters two years ago to positive results. Dr Ross Smith concluded with some advice on keeping bird attacks to a minimum. Things like tidying up after ourselves better, regular emptying of bins and securely sealing bags. We can live alongside gulls where they are less antagonistic to people. We are in a biodiversity crisis, so it's important we live together better. Teacher's safety calls after e-scooter hit and run. A teacher has called for greater safety measures around e-scooter use after suffering nasty injuries in a crash with a rider. John Sanders, 54, was celebrating his birthday in a friend's garden before walking to his home in the early hours of the morning on Saturday, April the 17th. Mr Sanders was walking along New Road near to his home in Belton when he was knocked off his feet by a young man riding an e-scooter along the pavement. He said, I looked up at the pavement, it was clear. 
I took my hat off, checked my phone, and when I looked up again, bang, that was it. I was on my back. Someone, a young lad, was standing over me panicking, saying, I'm sorry, oh God, I'm sorry. I told the boy to hang on a minute. I had just started to bleed and didn't realise at the time. Mr Sanders was unable to see as his glasses were knocked from his face. Seeing the light from his phone torch, he then called his wife who was at home with his daughter. Blood was dripping on my phone and that's when I realised it was worse than I thought. The teacher tried to keep the driver of the scooter with him. He was clearly concerned about me, but I just thought he panicked, Mr Sanders continued. I think he knew he'd been a bit careless and there were no lights on the scooter. As they waited for his wife to come, the teacher felt lousier and lousier as his face got wetter and wetter. He was helped by two passers-by who stopped to tend to his injuries. I was worried that the boy was hurt because something must have happened to him. The chap who had turned up went to the boy and asked for his name and if he was all right. All the boy kept saying was, I've got to go, I need to get home. And then he went. Mr Sanders was soon joined by his wife and she was in hysterics when she saw me. He then attended James Paget University Hospital for further treatment, including stitches and a scan. The doctor said the injury was similar to that of being hit by a motorcycle or a car. The scan showed he had received two fractures to his eye socket and he was referred to the Norfolk and Norwich ophthalmologist. Later that morning, Mr Sanders went to the Norfolk and Norwich. I was told I couldn't go to work next week. Now I'm just waiting to see if there'll be any lasting damage and when I can get back to work. The teacher has been recuperating at home, but hasn't been out of the house since coming back from the NNN. Mr Sanders remained somewhat sympathetic to the driver of the scooter. If the driver is found, I don't want to wreck a young person's life or anything like that, but there has to be some social responsibility. The teacher is not against the use of e-scooters. Anything environmentally friendly is a brilliant idea. I know there's a huge launch going on for the use of e-scooters, but we've got to think about the safety aspects of it. There's got to be something there to make it safe for people on and off the scooters. To me, they can't share pathways with pedestrians. Anything motorised should be on the road. I keep thinking if it was someone smaller who'd been hit, or if I was walking rather than standing still, Someone could have been killed. There'll be more of what has been happening in our area in just a while. First, though, a couple of pieces of information from Vision Norfolk. For the week starting the 30th of March, Vision Norfolk, previously known as the Norfolk and Norwich Association for the Blind, will be advertising using their minibus as a mobile unit around the county. In Great Yarmouth, the minibus will be on the marketplace on Thursday the 29th of April from 12 noon until 2pm. From the 19th of April, if the restrictions are relaxed, they will be able to have a staff member or volunteer on board 
and engage with as many people as possible and if appropriate demonstrate some small pieces of equipment. They would also like this opportunity to encourage people to keep their eye clinic appointments. If anyone is struggling with the long waiting lists they would like them to know that they are here to support them whether they are registered or not. Please phone 01603 573-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-
Owner Andrew Floyd said a lack of income during the three lockdowns had meant taking the difficult decision to close the high street shop and focus on the Yarmouth one. In Yarmouth, the shop, established eight years ago, had been expanded and redecorated with plans for a ladies-only gym upstairs. Mr Floyd said he had been well supported since being able to reopen on April the 12th, with many of his Galston customers making their way over the bridge to find him, which he was grateful for. Local pub splashes back into action. A local family pub and restaurant has reopened its pool for the summer season. Borough Hall in Borough Castle has enjoyed a full house since reopening last Monday. Like many other establishments, it had been closed under lockdown restrictions. Borough Hall co-owner Paul Southey said, We couldn't do any more last Monday. Everybody was coming out. The Southey family, Paul, Pauline, David and Haley, who had taken over Borough Hall's restaurant and bar last January, had worked tirelessly throughout the previous lockdowns to ensure the facilities were in line with regulations, as well as being able to provide enjoyment for patrons of the bar and restaurant. We've had a lot of encouraging signs, Mr Southey continued. Hopefully things will continue this way. Today we're opening the pool for the first time in a while. It will also be heated for the first time in 10 years. The pool, which has had some essential maintenance work carried out, will be heated to approximately 28 degrees on a daily basis. Mr Southey said, realistically, 50 people can fit in the pool. But unfortunately, at the minute, due to regulations, people will have to arrive ready to swim or get changed under a towel. The bar is open seven days a week from midday until 10pm, with meals available from opening time until 9.30pm. Also, the Southies well-renowned Sunday Carvery is back. Borough Hall has approximately 140 seats available. Mr Southies said, we've got 20 new benches made or with gazebos and patio heaters to put out at night as the temperature drops. There is live entertainment every Saturday and Sunday from 2pm until 5pm. That will all change when we go inside though, Mr Southey added. We'll bring back bingo and quizzes which people have missed over the past few months. The summer will see the return of the wedding chapel as organised by Donna Tickham as well as on-site hairdress and beautician Sarah Southey operating Vision Hair Salon. Historic Seaside Pub reveals £60,000 B&B rooms. A seaside pub has transformed its derelict upper floors that were going to waste. David Taylor and Lisa Doughty took over the Bellevue Inn in Galston in August last year returning it to its original name and making a raft of improvements. Since then, they have suffered two further lockdowns, giving them the time and the space to work on the uninhabited upper floors, which had to be stripped back to the bare brick. 
Now, with most of the work done, they hope to welcome their first guests on May the 17th, subject to planning permission and if coronavirus rules allow. The pub now has seven guest rooms, some with views over the riverside and harbour that chime with its historic name. Mr Taylor, who grew up in pubs, said he was delighted to be able to see the light at the end of the tunnel after a tough few months. He said the upper floors were totally derelict, but costing him money in terms of council tax, meaning he had to do something with it or walk away. The floorboards were up and the ceilings were hanging down. The kitchen was like something out of the film Train Spotting. We had a lot of help from friends and family and completely gutted it. Everything has been replaced, even the ceilings. We've gone out and bought seven beds, seven TVs, seven wardrobes, everything. The renovations had cost around £60,000, much more than he first hoped. With Gorston at the hub of so much activity as a popular resort and a base for major projects like the Third River Crossing, he hoped to appeal to the worker market, charging around £70 a night. In the end, the lockdown was useful, allowing them to crack on with noisy, dusty building work while there was no one in the pub. Locally, people with family and friends due to visit said the pub rooms would be handy and welcomed the changes, he said. Having created extra space outside at the back, he had been well supported since April the 12th, helped by the good weather and everyone adhering properly to the rules. They also plan to open a front hatch in the next few weeks, offering takeaway food and drink too. Parish councillor resigns after claims of rude and offensive emails. A parish councillor has resigned after being accused of sending rude and offensive emails to fellow members. Andrew Peake, the subject of the complaints, stepped down from Flegborough Parish Council on Sunday, April 11th, four days ahead of a meeting scheduled for Thursday, but which was cancelled due to the death of the Duke of Edinburgh. According to the meeting's agenda, published on April the 9th, Mr Peake was to have been declared unfit to hold public office and called on to resign as parish councillor. His resignation follows a standards committee hearing at Great Yarmouth Borough Council held in February behind closed doors, which was told that five complaints had been made against Mr Peake relating to emails which the parish council's clerk, Jimmy Miller, found offensive and malicious. The committee heard that Mr Peake, who was elected to the parish council in 2017, sent rude emails to other councillors about Mr Miller and that he criticised and humiliated other parish councillors on social media. The council found Mr Peake in breach of its code of conduct and agreed to sanction him, recommending the parish council issue him with a formal censure. A spokesperson for Flegborough Parish Council has said, since the hearing's results have been made public, Andrew Peake has taken the decision to step down from his position as parish councillor in Flegborough. The parish council hope they can now move on for the benefit of the parish 
and wish Andrew Peake well for the future. Speaking after his resignation, Mr Peake said the Borough Council Standards Committee had also highlighted governance issues, especially in the handling of complaints made by Flegborough Parish Council. Minutes for the meeting state that the committee noted it was not clear whether complaints raised by Mr Peake had been fully and appropriately processed according to the complaints policy. Campaign launched to keep Norfolk seals safe. Keeping seals safe from harm is the goal of a new campaign which has been launched as visitor numbers on the North Norfolk coast pick up ahead of summer. Dog mess, people who get too close and flying rings are all in the firing line of the Safer Seals campaign which has been launched by North Norfolk District Council in partnership with the Friends of Horsey Seals. It follows ongoing concerns over injuries sustained by seals in recent months. Peter Ansell, chairman of the Friends Group, said, Please do not bring flying rings of any description to the beach at all. They caused horrific injuries to the seals. They got on their necks as juveniles and as they grow, whatever's there stays and just cuts into their necks. Mr Ansell highlighted a recent case where a seal suffered a seven centimetre deep cut around her neck due to being trapped in a plastic ring for nearly two and a half years. He said she was named by us as Mrs Vicar because the plastic ring around her neck was white for want of a better description. The wound around her neck is absolutely horrific. Mr Ansell called on dog owners to clean up after their pets and dispose of the waste properly as volunteers regularly found plastic bags full of dog poo flung onto the grass. He said why they do that is beyond me. Each year from October to January, Blakeney Point becomes Britain's largest grey seal colony as about 4,000 cows and 2,000 bulls make their way there from across the North Sea for pupping season. Horsey Gap then becomes a popular spot for seals to molt. Mr Ansell said, Last week there were probably around 2,000 seals along this beach. They come out to molt end of January, beginning of March, when they've got over their pupping season. They start coming ashore and need six to eight weeks to molt their old outer fur whilst their inner fine fare protects them somewhat. Anyone who finds a seal in distress and in need of emergency assistance can call British Marine Drivers on 01825 765546, the RSPCA on 0300 1245 999, or Friends of Horsey Seals on 07706 31414. Man died after knife fight with housemate. A great Yarmouth man died after being stabbed during a fight with his housemate. Kelvin Adamson, 56, died after suffering a single stab wound to the neck 
in a fight with Paul Folks at their home in South Market Road, Great Yarmouth, shortly before 10.20pm on November the 7th, 2018. An inquest at Norfolk Coroner's Court on Monday, April the 19th, heard Mr Adamson had attacked his housemate in their communal kitchen. But despite the details revealed during the hearing, nobody has ever been charged over the death. Mr Folks needed five stitches after being stabbed in the chest, with doctors saying a blow two inches lower could have proved fatal. Transcripts of body cam footage from police officers at the scene were read at the hearing, which included Mr Folks saying, when someone comes at you with a knife, I'm not going to stand there, and he picked on the wrong person. Mr Folks, who claims Mr Anderson pushed a chair into his legs to trap him in the kitchen, told the court he asked if I wanted to play with knives, went to his room and when he came back I saw he had a knife and I knew I was in trouble. He swung his arm and I grabbed it but not enough to stop him stabbing me. Then he grabbed my hand holding the knife and pulled it towards his face saying, go on then. Then he moved and the pressure of the chair was released, so I fell forward. A post-mortem examination revealed six injuries in total, including the stab wound to the neck, a cut above the lip and several slash wounds on the head. In a narrative conclusion, area coroner Yvonne Blake, who said there had been bad blood between the housemates, said he died in a fight with another man. Both men had knives. Mr Adamson had a stab wound to his neck from the other man. He left the kitchen when the fight occurred and collapsed in the hall. He was taken to hospital where he was pronounced dead. In November 2019, Norfolk Police confirmed a man in his 60s, Mr Folks, remained under investigation more than a year after the fight. They have not released an update. No further action will be taken against a woman in her 50s who witnessed the attack. She had been arrested at the scene but was later released. Third Subway looks set to open in town. National sandwich chain Subway looks to be opening a new shop at Gapton Hall, Great Yarmouth. Ray Chadrakar, who has the Subway shop in King Street, Great Yarmouth, is applying to put the brand's distinctive signs over the door at the former car phone warehouse shop next to Pizza Hut. In March 2020, the technology retail giant closed all of its UK stores. The move hit 531 outlets, including nine across Norfolk, and almost 3,000 workers, leaving an empty unit at the retail park. Yarmouth has a subway in King Street and at the Tower Complex on Marine Parade and there's also a branch in Galston High Street. Towering Garden Teepee proves a hit with our fresco drinkers. A giant wedding teepee with an empty diary due to COVID-19 has popped up in a pub garden. The Jolly Farmers in Ormsby St Margaret has transformed its outdoor space in line with COVID guidelines, 
to provide an alfresco drinking space with a difference. Its garden teepee is head and shoulders above everything else in the village, casting a cosy purple glow after dark. Aaron Richards and Daisy Bonham, who had only took on the pub six days before the first lockdown last year, said seeing customers back on the premises had been a real tonic. Mr Richards, who oversees four pubs in the same group, said the TP had been fully booked over the first weekend of opening, with the coming one looking strong too. The TP was the latest in a long line of measures aimed at trying to adapt to the ever-changing situation, he said. Having fenced in the car park and introduced an outdoor bar and check-in point, everything was working well and had been well received, he added. The garden now hosts the statement teepee which can seat up to 60, as well as a wood burner area and other tables for walk-ins. We also have a wedding company, so it was a no-brainer for us, he said. It fits into the rustic country vibe and really comes into its own at night with the fairy lights. An added bonus was that its sides could be lifted to comply with rules, being 50% open. The couple's event styling and wedding company Smoke and Wildwood also styled the Mysa Bar in the Castle Gardens and the Maid's Head Hotel Winter Garden in Norwich in December. Mr James said it was disheartening last year with the stop, start, open, close, but now we are passionately looking forward to a summer and are putting all our efforts into a full steam ahead approach for the pub and the wider community. It's been a tough year and so it's an incredibly important time to support small businesses. So we have sourced all local suppliers to make this concept a reality. TP tables are available to book in time slots of 3 to 6 p.m. and 6.30 to 9.30 p.m. on Friday and Saturday and 1.30 to 3.30 p.m. and 4 to 7 p.m. on Sundays. Toddler found in car not wearing seatbelt and driver had no licence. Three passengers who were found not to be wearing a seatbelt in a car driven by someone who was unlicensed and uninsured. The discovery was made after police stopped a light blue Ford Focus in Great Yarmouth on Sunday. After pulling the car over, officers found the three people in the back, including a toddler, were not wearing their seatbelts. And while carrying out their checks at the scene, they found that the person behind the wheel did not hold a valid driver's license or the correct insurance. The two adults in the car were being dealt with for the numerous offences, officers from Norfolk and Suffolk Roads and armed policing team said. <coughs> Guided Great Yarmouth Walks aiming to improve mental well-being. A new Great Yarmouth-based community project is offering guided walks and workshops for mental well-being. Yarmouth Springs Eternal is a new community arts, walking and nature project happening this spring, led by community artist Genevieve Rudd in partnership with Original Projects. There will be a particular focus on highlighting overlooked spaces 
and celebrating everyday interactions with the natural world. The project aims to explore the importance of the natural world and creating community spirit to improve people's mental health. The programme includes a series of community artist-led walks and workshops attended by adults with lived experience of homelessness and migration. The workshops will include socially distant group walks around the town, taking notice of nature in unexpected places and making art inspired by their discoveries. From May, a series of public events and exhibitions will be taking place in the Great Yarmouth Art Gallery, Prime Yark, based in the ex-Debenhams unit in Market Gates Shopping Centre. And now I'm off meandering through the pages of the Great Yarmouth Mercury from December 1961. So forget this glorious spring weather and think Christmas. The headline sets the scene. Lights will go up for Christmas. It was decided by the Great Yarmouth Entertainment and Publicity Department that all the decorative lights in the borough would go on from December the 22nd to Old Year's Night. And now how the other half lived. It was announced there would be 18 in the Royal Party at Sandringham this year. New to the family festival get-together would be the baby Viscount Lily and the Duchess of Kent whose marriage was in June. Now another headline that caught my eye was Melton Lodge is bought by Mr Geoffrey Watling. Melton Lodge, the large Victorian mansion on the corner of Marine Parade and Kings Road, which was for many years a children's orthopaedic hospital, was sold for £12,000 to Mr Geoffrey Watling, a Norwich businessman. Gorston has East Anglia's first automatic shop. The first automatic shop to be installed in East Anglia has been placed on the forecourt of Mr P. W. Mills's shop at number two Borough Road in Galston. The shop, known as a Vendol, is driven by a small motor which turns it slowly anti-clockwise on a central pin. It has over 150 compartments which can be seen as it revolves. And when an article is selected, it's necessary only to insert the appropriate coin wait for the compartment to reach the inspection window in the operating door and press the door button. Oh, phew. <laughs> right, entertainment now. The ABC had Leslie Caron in Gigi. The Regal had Bob Hope in Bachelor in Paradise. And the Colosseum in Galston had Belinda Lee in Aphrodite, Goddess of Love. And the Palace, oh, the Curse of the Werewolf. Oh, happy Christmas entertainments, my word. Now, for live entertainment, the good old Floral Hall offered on Saturdays a modern night featuring Linda Taylor, a TV vocalist, admission four and six. Now, what were we listening to in December 1961? Elvis Presley, Wooden Heart, Del Shannon, Runaway, Helen Shapiro, who had this wonderful back-combed hair, if you can picture her. And she was singing You Don't Know Me. And John Layton was singing Johnny Remember Me. Oh, my lost youth. Ooh. 
When the mists are rising and the rain is falling And the wind is blowing cold across the moor I hear the voice of my darling The girl I love and lost a year ago It's hard to believe, I know, but I hear her singing in the sign of the wind blowing in the treetops way above me. Yes, I'll Another little girl to take the place of my true love But as long as I live I know I'll hear her singing in the sign of the wind Blowing in the treetops way above me Yes, I'll Maudlin little ditty there from John Layton from December 1961. Okay, back to Margaret for the last part of the news. Barber seeks sender of anonymous gift to say thank you. A barber who was given a generous tip by a mystery customer has asked for the anonymous do-gooder to reveal themselves so that he can say a simple thank you. David Cardoso owner of new barbershop Billions in Victoria Arcade, reopened his doors on Monday, April the 12th, ready to get hands-on now that the restrictions were lifted. However, Mr Cardoso was surprised to see an envelope on the floor. Inside was a card wishing him the best of luck as well as £60 in cash. The card read, I'm so impressed that you started your business during a pandemic. I enclose a very small gift which I hope will cheer you up. The card does contain a signature, but it is only one name and difficult to read. Mr Cardoso said, I thought this was very kind and it really did touch me. I would be so grateful to at least be able to say thank you to them. By-elections in two wards as councillors quit. Two by-elections are being held after an independent and a Labour councillor, 
both resigned citing personal reasons. Steve Scott Greenard has stood down as ward representative for Ormsby on the Great Yarmouth Borough Council. He won the seat from Ron Hanton in 2019. Mr Scott Greenard, who sat on the Appeals Committee, said the decision to step down was a personal choice and came in the wake of securing paid work from the Borough Council. Mr Hanton, a former Borough and County Councillor, is hoping to regain his seat when voters go to the polls. Labour is fielding Alison Green. Meanwhile, people in the Claydon Ward will also be asked to return a new member, with Labour's Cara Walker standing down for personal reasons, group leader Trevor Wainwright said, having won the seat in 2018. Vying for votes there will be Bob Price for the Conservatives and Joe Thurtle for Labour. Both by-elections will be held on the same day as the Norfolk County Council elections on May the 6th. The successful candidate serving for two years until the council's next full election due in 2023. E-scooter riders clock up 10,000 miles in just over two weeks. An e-scooter trial in Great Yarmouth has got off to a busy start with more than 10,000 miles clocked up in just over two weeks. Great Yarmouth Borough Council is working with authorised operator Ginger, which is providing 35 scooters and 50 parking bays, as part of a pilot to help the government to decide whether or not to legalise e-scooters. Since the trial launched at the end of March, 1,512 registered users have travelled a total of 11,183 miles. Penny Carpenter, chairperson of the Council's Environment Committee, said, while e-scooters have been around for a while in Norwich and bicycles have long been a common mode of transport, we're still very much in the early stages of the Great Yarmouth trial and people are getting used to riding the e-scooters and seeing them around. We continue to review and monitor operations in partnership with e-scooter operator Ginger, the police and the county council as highways authority. For example, we've added Regent Road as one of our e-scooter dismount zones to coincide with the reopening of more shops and tourism related businesses, she added. Victor Ling, who has used the e-scooters three times so far, said, the first time was for a bit of fun. The second time was to go up to the seafront and have a cup of tea and the third time to pick up my van, which was being serviced at Albie's workshop. The 47-year-old, who runs a photography business in Victoria Arcade, added, I find them very user-friendly and I like the concept. I'll definitely use them again. He said he had noticed quite a few kids using them under 16-year-olds which is fine until something goes wrong. There are little problems here and there, but in general, I think it's really positive and we need to look at the future and look at using things like this, Mr Ling said. The trial zone covers residential areas and key commuter routes within Great Yarmouth, Gorston and Bradwell, as well as both seafronts and other key employment areas. For everything you need to know about booking an e-scooter and riding one safely, 
please visit www.great-yarmouth.gov.uk slash e-scooters. Safety advice and online training is also available on the Ginger website at www.ginger.town slash safety. In Great Yarmouth, over 3,000 new green jobs could replace those lost to COVID in just two years. More than 3,000 jobs could be created in green infrastructure and care work in Great Yarmouth. Research compiled by the Green New Deal UK shows that up to 3,170 jobs could be created in Great Yarmouth across green infrastructure and care work in the next two years if there is sufficient government investment. The Office for National Statistics has recently published data showing that the number of young claimants in Great Yarmouth aged 18 to 24 years grew by 62% over the last year from 625 in February 2020 to 1010 in February 2021. The proportion of young people struggling for work in Great Yarmouth is much higher than the average across Norfolk, with 13.6% of this age group compared to 8% across Norfolk, and the figure is likely to grow once furlough schemes come to an end. However, green jobs could help Great Yarmouth's young community, which has been hit hardest by job losses during the COVID crisis. Green New Deal data shows that new jobs could be created in sectors like offshore wind, solar energy, retrofitting homes and in social care and health, all of which are essential to the UK meeting its national and international climate targets. The energy sector could create around 1,350 jobs in the borough in the next two years and a further 200 jobs could be created in sustainable public transport and more than 1,000 in social care services, as the percentage of over 65-year-olds in the borough continues to grow. Local resident and new Green Deal supporter Paul Henry said, We can achieve a win-win by tackling unemployment and climate breakdown at the same time. There's an unemployment crisis and a climate crisis and a Green New Deal could create thousands of good green jobs right here in Great Yarmouth. Great Yarmouth Green New Deal Hub Coordinator Maggie Brown commented, The government could invest in these green jobs right now to boost our economic recovery. If you compare what the UK is spending on green jobs, with investments planned in France, Germany and the US, we are falling behind. High school pupils isolating after positive COVID-19 test. A group of year nine high school students are isolating and being taught remotely after one of their peers tested positive for coronavirus. Following the result, after routine asymptomatic lateral flow testing in the home, the principal at Flake High Ormiston Academy in Martham wrote to all parents to offer reassurance 
and to reinforce safety advice and routines around limiting the spread of the virus. Kate Williams said in the letter, I completely appreciate and understand that there are already some inevitable anxieties about returning to school, given the current circumstances we find ourselves in. However, I would like to reassure you that we are doing all we can to ensure everybody's safety and will be continuing to closely follow and implement advice from the experts to maintain this. It is important that students, staff and the wider school community remain vigilant and continue to uphold the various safety protocols in place, both within the academy but also when out in the wider community. The school said a small number of students were self-isolating. In the seven days up to April the 14th, Great Yarmouth saw an increase in the number of infections from 10.1 to 17.1 per 100,000. Overall, however, Norfolk's infection rate remains below the national average and the James Paget University Hospital in Galston has not had a mechanical ventilator bed occupied by a COVID patient since March the 12th, more than a month ago. Bid for 10,000 names on Acle Strait petition. The organiser of a petition urging the government to duel the Acle Strait hopes to get at least 10,000 signatures as a bus company warns about safety along the notorious road. The online campaign was launched on the government's website by Mick Castle, independent county councillor, and so far has just under 600 signatures. By September, if the petition has 10,000 names, that will be enough to get a response from Whitehall. Mr Castle, who was retiring after the local elections on May the 6th, said, The Acle Strait always gets sidelined, but this would send a very substantial message that it's about time they did something, and hopefully they will consider it for the road programme between now and 2025. Last September, in the latest of a series of dashed hopes, Highways England announced that the duelling of the eight-mile stretch of road will not be included in the third round of its road improvement strategy for projects from 2025 to 2030. Mr Castle set up his petition as levels of traffic on the road increased again after the loosening of lockdown on April the 12th and bus drivers noticing an increase in road traffic incidents. Chris Speed, Head of Operations at First Eastern Counties said, Our drivers have noticed there has been an increase in traffic along the Acle Strait, especially at busy times of the day. Also an increase in road traffic incidents which obviously can impact on the bus services we operate to and from Great Yarmouth. I certainly think more needs to be done to improve safety along this stretch of road to reduce further incidents occurring. The petition is not the first. In 2007, Galston biker Steve Dix secured almost 2,000 signatures. Twelve years earlier, a pressure group, the A47 Alliance, also began their campaign, calling on the government to improve the road. Well, that's me finished for this time.
I hope the good weather stays with us at the weekend and I can slap on some sun cream and sit in my small garden just listening to the birds. Time to forget about the long dark days of winter. <laughs> they are long gone now. <laughs> anyway, keep well, keep safe and thank you for listening. Bye for now. That's it from this particular edition of Grapevine. The recording is copyright 2021 of the Great Yarmouth and District Talking Newspaper Association. The news content is adapted mainly from the publications of Archant Limited and is used with their consent. However, the Great Yarmouth and District Talking Newspaper Association accept responsibility for editorial decisions made for this recording. Next week's newsreader will be Aileen, and we hope that we can look forward to welcoming you once again for much more of your local news. In the meantime, from all of us at Grapevine, we hope that you stay safe and well, and until next week, it's bye for now.